Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's episode was pre-recorded during the 2018 School Leadership Conference. We caught up with one of our keynote speakers who shed light on the impact of generational differences on society. Insights on the pre-generation that comprises the present student populace, along with distinctions between the millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, and the silent generations are just some of the topics we touched on in conversation. I'm here with Chuck Underwood. He is the founder of the consulting firm, The Generational Imperative, and he is a leading international expert on generational study. He is the author of America's Generations in the Workplace, Marketplace, and Living Room. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure, Annette. So with more demands than ever on educators and school leaders today, what do schools need to know about the current student generation, which, as I understand it, at least for now, is being called Generation Z? What should those in the education field know about this generation? Well, they should, first of all, understand that we don't become a member of a generation until we're out of high school. Mm The first roughly 18 years of our lives, the classroom years, are pre-generation years, which means we're still trying on a lot of different core values as we progress through those first two decades of life, deciding which values fit, which don't. But by the time we leave the classroom years, we now possess a pretty strong set of core values that will keep largely intact for life. And when we reach that point, then we become a member of a generation. There is a lot of terribly inaccurate information out there right now. Um, Generation Z at the moment Mm -hmm. uh, is front page news, but in legitimate generational study, it doesn't yet exist. Okay, that's really interesting. uh, Our youngest generation is the millennial generation, and their age in 2018 is 18 to 36. Okay, so this pre-generation then that's in the student population right now, what do you think are some of their traits, if you can speak to that yet, being pre-generation, but the traits that would impact their learning style? Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, and what happens during those classroom years is that we mold our core values based upon the times that we witness and absorb during those first 18 to 23 years, and also by the teachings that we absorb from older generations of parents, educators, religious leaders, and others. What we can predict about today's school age population in this country is that overwhelmingly their parents are members of Generation X. Okay. And those parents this year are age 37, to 53. The young millennials are becoming parents late, so as a generation they don't have a lot of kids in the school systems yet, but they're just starting to knock at that door. So what we can predict is the Generation X parents are passing down to their school-age children their own generational values, and that means independence, self-reliance, kind of a healthy skepticism of our nation's major institutions, um, preferring oftentimes in the classroom to work alone rather than in groups or teams of students. And that's very Gen X 
and we are our parents. What we cannot predict is the times. And in the first roughly 10 years of our lives and sort of up through elementary school, the core values that we will embrace for life are the ones pounded into us by our elders. But then, as every parent knows, we get into the middle school, junior high school years, and then later in, for that next decade of our lives, age 12 to 22, mm -hmm. we're now going to form a different set of core values, an additional set that is going to be much more peer-influenced okay. and also times-influenced, and that's the chunk of core values that we can't yet predict. But today's school-age kids, and especially those in high school, have very little memory of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. They do have a pretty good memory of our war against terrorism. They have a pretty fair memory of the impact on their parents and on America of the Great Recession. They are the kids who have grown up as the ADHD, there's a pill for every problem generation. Mm -hmm. They've come of age with education trying to keep pace with this extraordinarily rapid transformation in all things educational. And um, on the negative side, uh, they're the kids being seduced by vaping and mm. e-cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So the times and the teachings combine and when these young kids today clear high school, and if they're fortunate enough to go on to college, clear those classroom years, they probably will have a set of core values distinctively different enough from the millennials that they will become our next generation. Okay, and so you said that we are our parents to some degree, and those initial core values very much translate over to that child, right? And so what's the biggest difference then between Gen X and Gen Z with respect to what educators and school leaders should know? Is there a big difference there that would translate into that educational environment? Our two youngest adult generations are the millennials and Gen Xers. And they have profoundly different preferences for the way they learn, okay. for the way they are taught. And this really shows up in, for example, community colleges which are multi-generational classrooms of students. And that's where classroom instructors need to really understand generational differences. Now we don't, it, the next generation probably will be named Generation Z. Okay. They're not here yet. Right. We have to see high school graduates in America for about four or five consecutive years demonstrate core values profoundly different from millennials before we see the Generation Z has arrived. So in terms of the classroom and Gen X parents, uh, today's students uh, are actually probably as profoundly impacted on their learning by technology as they are their parents' values. We'll differ a little bit from mm -hmm. our parents. Mm -hmm. We'll diverge, but the base core values will remain intact. Generation X, for example, is the family first generation. Mm -hmm. Today's students, by and large, yes, there are exceptions, have come of age in a family-friendly America. Gen X parents are trying to rebuild the family unit that had taken such a beating when they were kids growing up. 
So today's students will have a pretty strong sense of family. They'll have a somewhat weakened sense of community because their Gen X parents, in order to survive this troublesome economy, are sometimes being forced to move from one city to the other. So these kids are losing a sense of hometown. Okay. Informal research, what we tell researchers, if you want to understand kids up into their senior year of high school, you do not do generational research. They don't yet belong to a generation. If you want to get into the heads of high school sophomores, you do age research. What do 16-year-olds feel and believe today? And next year, there'll be 17-year-olds, and their values might have changed. So we look at age instead of generation until they're out of high school. That's really fascinating to me because there is so much market research that's been done on what is being termed in those fields as Generation Z research. So this concept that you're describing makes a ton of sense logically, but it's really interesting to me that in the marketing arenas and the market research arenas that they feel they have a grasp of what that market what that market's behavior is like. Do you feel like that research has any accuracy or validity to it? Well, I think it has age accuracy to it. Okay. If they study high schoolers, they know what 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids are thinking and doing. But in the decade of the 2000s, the field of generational study proved itself, became white hot. A whole bunch of people jumped into it. Mm -hmm. uh, at the turn of this century, there were fewer than 10 of us on the planet who had studied this, and by then for 15 or 20 years. Okay. And when people jumped into a crowded field, what we found was they were creating generations that didn't exist, uh, conducting online surveys and calling it legitimate research, which it is not, all in order to attract attention to themselves and land a paid speaking gig or mm -hmm. have an excuse to write a book. Here's our next generation, and here's my book on it. Right. So the research might be valid, but to call it generational is invalid. I've read the research, mm -hmm. and the core values that all of these research are saying is Generation Z are almost exactly the same core values as the millennials. And that means they're still millennials. We're not seeing this great divergence in legitimate value differences. Okay. Now. Some researchers know they have to display some differences in order to say, here comes Generation Z, and they're kind of enlarging the truth. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Yeah, that's really fascinating, because I have read quite a lot in the market research side of things. Yeah. You know? Well, here's how that happened. To give you an example, you've probably heard the term Generation Y. Yes. There is no Generation Y, and here's how that happened. And in the marketplace, which you mentioned, this is how it occurs. When the, the younger half of Generation X occupied the age demographic of roughly 18 to 33, in other words, when they were graduating from high school in essentially the late 90s and early 2000s, Okay. The automotive industry found that these 18 to 23-year-olds were not doing what prior generations had done, which is buy used cars that were cheap. The younger half of Generation X 
with lots of help from mom and dad, were buying new cars. Hmm. And the automotive industry said, this is a new market. We need to create car models that will appeal to 18 to 23 year olds. Mm -hmm. Now, internally here at General Motors or Ford or Chrysler, let's come up with a name for this group of 18 to 23 year olds. We already know about Generation X. We'll call these people Generation Y. Not a legitimate generation at all. It was just a buzzword label for a small age demographic within one industry. Okay. And that's what's happening. Specific Pe to the automotive industry. Yes, but then it got out. Okay. So when a, a, an automotive industry executive spoke with the Wall Street Journal and starts talking about Generation Y as our mm -hmm. target demo, mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal assumes that's a legitimate generation. Hmm. So we're hearing Gen Z, Generation Next, the I generation, the App mm -hmm. generation. There are a blizzard of generational names floating around out there and in mm -hmm. legitimate generational study at the moment. It stops with the millennials. Hmm. Okay. I've also heard Gen Y used when it is someone who I believe is part of the millennial generation that wishes to disassociate with the stereotype because and, there are those stereotypes. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true, but that is not a legitimate generation. Sure. A sure. generation is an age group, an age cohort that embraces the same basic core values for life core values that emerged as a result of that age group sharing similar times and similar teachings during the formative years which are roughly the first 20 to 23 years of life. That is a generation and only when core values change profoundly and coast to coast and top to bottom for four or five years of high school graduates mm -hmm. do we truly acknowledge the next generation. Okay. So the teachers that are in the classrooms today are of a different generation than the child that is sitting in their classroom that they are teaching. How do they, do they have access to this type of information uh, around generational study? Do you feel that most schools have this information accessible or is it simply up to the educator to self-teach and read about this topic? Do you have any sense of that? One of the challenges is that K through 12 school districts usually don't have the budget to bring in someone like me or one of the others who were there at the beginning to train their entire employee base, but especially their classroom instructors in the generational strategies that should be active in the classrooms. So the answer to the question is very, through, very few at K through 12 are formally trained and deeply trained mm -hmm. in generational dynamics. Okay. It gets a little bit better in higher education. So I've been zigzagging the country, speaking to community colleges all around the country uh, and also to four-year universities. But they still are not as fully trained as they should be. And it's actually classroom instructors who teach high school seniors or higher, higher ed, who actually, if trained, are the first to recognize the changes coming out of the high schools, the first to recognize the next generation's arrival. Right, okay. So do you feel like that's where the impact 
can be greatest then is on that age of coming out of high school, the seniors, and then on into higher education. That's really where that knowledge can be most impactful, do you feel? Generational study, even though it focuses on generations that do not begin until essentially age 18, can nonetheless help us with today's school kids because we now know with the millennial generation age 18 to 36, they've been in the workplace, they've been in higher ed, faculty and employers mm -hmm. are reporting back to people like me. Okay. Here are the millennials' workplace strengths, here are their weaknesses, and we want K through 12 and parents to help their kids to maximize these weaknesses that we're seeing in millennials, or to, sorry, to minimize those, and to maximize the strengths. So education needs to change because millennials pass through their classroom years and popped into adulthood with shortcomings from two massive phenomena. Overparenting, which heavily impacted millennials in K through 12 and right. to this day, and also the technology revolution. Millennials were the generation that had to be, beyond their control, the guinea pigs, the laboratory rats of tech's staggering impact on us. Trial and error, got some things right, got some things wrong, but there is a long list of specific damage done to millennials during their youth hmm. by technology and now that we see that up there in adulthood with the millennials, we can now come back to parents mm. and to educators and say, here are the corrections that K through 12 classrooms can and should make to ensure that this damage doesn't continue. That's pretty enormous, really, that learning that was taken away from that guinea pig stage to put it in the same terms. The millennials are going to become a magnificent career generation. And everybody loves millennials. They're mm -hmm. eager to please, eager to learn. They, they are uncommonly charming. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to like a millennial. Mm -hmm. uh, and they know that tech rammed them. They didn't know it at the time. Do you think they're aware of it? They are aware of it because now they're in the workplace. Now they have bosses who are saying, um, boomer bosses say, I've managed boomers, I've managed Xers, I've managed the older silent generation, now I'm managing you, and here are the shortcomings that are a result of tech's impact on you. You have short attention spans, so you struggle to complete assignments. Uh, you're not as good at communication. You're not as good with telephone skills, which are still important in business, because you millennials grew up communicating anonymously. Right. Um, college faculty say millennials are very, very weak at critical thinking and hmm. independent thought and this new buzzword that is out there, mindfulness. Okay. And, and it's a longer list than that, yeah. but those are specific mm -hmm. workplace and career shortcomings that all trace back to either overparenting when their parents did it for them or to the damage done by the tech revolution. So wow. how do we get parents to, first of all, understand that, 
and work with their three-year-old kids and their six-year-old first graders and their 12-year-old sixth graders and their high school seniors. How do we get K through 12 classroom educators and administrators to fully understand all of that so they can now apply that greater wisdom and say, here are the changes we need to make to prevent this next wave of kids who will be our next generation someday from suffering from the same damage, but how can we also maximize the strengths that we see in millennials and that we do want to continue with the next generation. If our listeners want to know more about this topic area or they want to find out more about your work in this area, where's the best place for them to go for that? Just Google Chuck Underwood. Okay. There may be four or five of us who will show up on the first page of your search. Great. Or Chuck Underwood Generations. And that will get you to my website, which gets you to my direct contact information. Great. And that gets you to, if you're interested in my book, and it gets you to the five DVDs from five of our PBS television shows about the generations. Fantastic. Chuck, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us thank today you. while you were here. Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more information and resources supporting today's discussion. Thank you, Chuck, so much. Thank you for your interest. A pleasure. This is Annette Gray saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.